to the girl who hates those hot dog leg selfies and just wants to snap up a hot deal. Oh, there's another one. Hashtag rest assured at Summer Girl 38. Message received. And to the working man who hasn't had a vacay in what feels like forever. It's just been so busy. That rest I... assured, Busy B. I got you. Please don't call me that. Whatever you're planning this summer, for a better rate, make it Maldron. Join now and save 10 euro at MaldronHotels.com. Terms and conditions apply. demand expected to come back the question remains does this mean the economy is back on track companies now after experimenting with offshore in places like india philippines and poland want to bring those jobs back we invest in the u.s we're the biggest exporter in the country in the cycle and right now we're creating jobs from radio america it's neil asbury's made in america the show that explores american industry large and small and promotes american-made products everywhere Put Neil Asbury's Made in America to work for you. A very big welcome to you today. I'm Neil Asbury, together with co-host Dr. Rich Rothman. Hey, Rich, man, we got an incredible show, man. We're going to talk about uh, the Paris uh, Climate Accord and what's going on there and what comes next. We're going to talk about uh, the Comey uh, uh, when he just testified. And, you know, I, I've not seen fervor about this in a long time. I mean, it's, it's just absolutely a frenzy going on over this thing. I don't know if we learned anything. I think both sides are going to say, well, I was right. And I don't know if the country moved forward or not. Well, I'm not so sure about that. Well, that's why we had these conversations. But yeah, this has been a very exciting week. I, I've, I've been watching people melt down and prognostications and so forth. And, you know, it, it's, it, if anything, it's great television. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to have a conversation about that. But first, we're going to get into some real policy discussion. That's what we should be doing as a country. We should be talking about policies to move us forward. But unfortunately, no, that doesn't seem to be where we are. Uh, hopefully, we're going to get back to it real soon. But we here at Made in America, we love to talk about policy and about getting our people back to work. We're very pleased to have on the show Jennifer Habercorn, who's a senior health care reporter at Politico. Jennifer, welcome to Made in America. Thanks so much for having me. You just published a piece. I read it. It was, you know, it was, I, I believe, uh, quite accurate, though I don't understand why this is happening. Uh, but your piece was uh, entitled The GOP Turns Gloomy Over Obamacare Repeal. And, and you're discussing really about the Senate and about mm -hmm. some of the wrangling that's going on in the Senate and that, uh, you know, it's it's you know, there's it's a difficult road in order to do something about Obamacare. And it doesn't seem like the Republicans have their caucus on board with this. Uh, but but, Jennifer, you know, the thing that 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 I see is Obamacare is imploding on its own. So, I mean, what can be worse than what we already have? And then if what we have isn't working, how do we fix it? Well, I think Republicans in the Senate right now are kind of going through what happened in the House. If you remember, Paul Ryan did push through an Obamacare repeal bill, um, but it was a very tortured process. You know, there were a lot of up and downs. And so the Senate's going through that right now. I mean, every Senate Republican wants to take this law off the books, but they're divided about how to do it. And you have everyone from the moderates to the conservatives debating all of these points, like what do you do on the Medicaid expansion under the Affordable Care Act? And how do you try to bring down premiums? Do you give people assistance to help them buy insurance? 
all these different things and each one um you know republicans are divided on each point and so the majority leader mitch mcconnell is trying to um, bring the 52 republicans to consensus he needs at least 50 of them to vote for his bill assuming that Vice President Mike Pence would break the tie in the Senate. And as of right now, you know, it's, it's a tough process. I think um, I wouldn't bet, you know, my house that this gets done. But uh, it's really hard to bet the majority leader. He's been able to get a lot done in the past. Well, you know, I guess we could just let it stay where it is right now. I mean, Anthem pulled out this month. They're not, they're not part of yeah. it anymore. You know, almost one third of the of the counties are now going to be down to either one or no members uh, of uh, the health community being part of you know the Obamacare opportunities. So I mean, we could just let it spiral. And and but I do find it interesting though, and and I agree they do need to get their act together. But folks like Jim Jordan on the congressional side are are saying, listen, we're willing. We have people who are willing to work through the summer to get this thing done. So, you know, maybe, uh, you know, what do you think? You know, you've, you've heard that. You've heard, I'm sure you've heard Jim's commentary. Mm-hmm. You think there's a possibility that they're going to they're gonna hang around and try and get something done um, by September? I think that's pretty unlikely. Um, the majority leader in the Senate has said that he wants to vote by the 4th of July, which is a very ambitious goal because they don't have a bill actually written yet. But if, if that is the case, if they vote before the 4th of July, that would mean they have the entire month of July to reconcile the House and Senate bills. So it is possible. Um, I mean, as you know, Congress does not do anything quickly. Um, so even that is a very ambitious timetable. But if they if they pass a bill by July, they would have a whole month to try to negotiate the differences between the House and the Senate. And to your point about letting it collapse, I mean, the president has said that, you know, we can just let this law collapse. But there are a lot of Republican senators who are very, very concerned about that. They argue that you know, they don't want to let people hanging. They've really t- called to this a rescue mission. And um, I don't think a lot of Republican senators would be on board with just kind of the way things are moving forward right now, where you have the admi- administration you know, doing, do, doing some things to undermine the law and people losing their insurance. Um, I think there'd be a lot of opposition to just doing nothing. Um, that said, it's, it is hard to do something, but I think they'd be opposed to doing nothing. Well, I agree, I agree with that, and that would be rhetorical anyway. That was the whole point. It was facetiousness. So, But, yeah, I, I don't think they want the whole thing to collapse, and I don't think anybody wants anyone to lose health care and, and feel insecure of the fact that they can't take care of their family. So here's a, here, I got a novel thought, Jennifer, is um, both sides recognize that, that Obamacare is a lost cause. I mean, Democrats you know, don't want to come out and say it you know, as directly as that, and, of course, the Republicans want to shout it from a mountain. But here's the idea. It, it's broke. It's going to collapse. It's financially been a huge, huge problem for the entrepreneurial community, the small business community, the people who work. I mean, the hardworking middle class folks in this country are getting health care that's worse than they had before. They're paying much more for it, and they can't use it because either they can't find a doctor or the deductibles are too high. So it's just not come down to semantics. Both sides know that something has to be done, but just the Democrats will never accept that the word repeal is is used they i think that everybody could agree it's got to get fixed and i I bet you that they could even agree on how to fix it but they can't agree that it's repealed is this a matter of semantics um you know i don't think so i mean democrats argue that if republicans would help them repair the law 
the law would be fine. Um, That's what I'm saying know, is that the word repealed. You can't use the word repeal, but you could use repair. So Republicans say well, repeal. Democrats say repair. But isn't it the same thing that they got to get to? No, because, I mean, Republicans and Democrats have very different ideas about what needs to change here. I mean, Democrats would want to pull the bill to the left or shore up the subsidies. Republicans would want to do, uh, you know, a, a lot of different things to the law. So, I mean, repair is a kind of nice word to say change, but repair, one man's repair is another's repeal. So I, I don't think it's, it's, it's about semantics. I think, you know, both sides have, are so ingrained on their position on this law. And to your point, you know, Democrats have been very reluctant to start any conversation that begins with repeal or, or you know, significant changes to the law. And, you know, Republicans have been reluctant to say that they want to expand insurance coverage. So I feel like the camps on this are very, very divided, and I don't see them coming together anytime soon. Well, you know, I think you're right. I mean, there is a major difference between repair and re- repair and repeal. I mean, re- repeal eliminates part of a legacy of a president. Well, that's it. I mean, and that is a very tough pill it's, it's for some symbolic. people to swallow. My point Absolutely. is, it's, it's symbolic. Yeah. It's because, you know, Obama, you know, spent eight years in the in, in, as president, and he would have nothing to show for it right. if this right. was repealed. Right, but that was an action verb. That was an action verb for, you know, Mr. Trump to run and become president. I'm going to repeal that. Mm-hmm. Within 100 days, I'm going to repeal it. But the Democrats accept that this thing financially is is not is unsustainable, right? So something's got to get done. So so Jennifer, yeah, what is Democrats that something that's got to get that, done? But I think Democrats would argue that Republicans are actively undermining it. I mean, well, we see all these insurers leaving the market, and there are plenty of reasons why they're doing that. I think some of that is inherent in the ACA, but some of that too is the Obama, the, the Trump administration has said that they. Uh, don't know if they're going to make these cost-sharing reduction payments, about $8 billion in payments that was the focus of a House versus White House lawsuit. Um, So, you know, Democrats would say that if the Trump administration would make these payments to insurers, that the markets would be a lot more sustainable. So I'm not sure that Democrats would, you know, agree that the law is financially unsustainable at this point. Whoa, I think there are a lot of economists out there that would say this law is unsustainable in terms of of, uh, bolstering it with these payments as well as maintaining it with the corporations that are trying to have, you know, health care for their employees, such as yourself, Neil, and for myself with my company. There's a a lot of unsustainability in this law. Well, Jennifer, where is that money supposed to come from? I mean, where is it supposed to come from? Is, is is, Is the White House just supposed to magically produce that money and it's just all of a sudden there? Well, that's what the, the uh, Obama White House had been doing. Um, this was the focus of, of the big lawsuit that the House Speaker John Boehner, the former House Speaker, had brought against the Obama White House. Um, it's a very controversial position. Uh, my point is just that Democrats would not agree to, to your statements that um, the law itself is financially unsustainable. There's plenty of fixes they'd want to make, but they wouldn't concede that point. And I think... And, that, and therein lies the problem. Jennifer, <laughs> exactly. thanks. I mean, you've been a, a great guest, and you explained this very, very well to our listeners. We really appreciate you coming on. It was wonderful to talk to you guys. Thank you. Coming up, Dr. Rothman and I are going to have a, a very lively discussion about a number of things that impacts your jobs. Made in America.
Welcome to Made in America. I'm your host, Neil Asbury, together with co-host, Dr. Rich Ruffman. Hey, Rich, I want to continue on that. You know, since uh, this is our show, we can uh, continue on a discussion or we can end the discussion. But we're going to continue on with that thought because this is so incredible. <laughs> no, I want to continue on. This, this wasn't so a terminus. This was not a no, terminus this is in just this conversation. I really believe, I really believe that in the end, just the word repeal you know, has to be somewhere within a Republican deal. And, and the word repair has to be in with a, a Democrat deal. Now, I disagree that, you know, Democrats, when they're honest with themselves, would have to admit that there is a real financial problem with this thing. And it is the Congress that allocates funds. And it, the White House does not allocate funds. They have to have the money from Congress to spend. Right. That's right. That's how so, it works. So there is incredible flaws with this Obamacare thing because, you know, they felt that the markets would sustain themselves and that there wouldn't have to be this additional funding. When they came back to Congress after they stuck a, a, a hot stick in the eye of the Republican caucus and said, hey, uh, by the way, uh, we need some more money here. Of course, the Republican said, well, you didn't come to us when you needed the votes and some ideas about what this bill should look like. That's exactly correct. They were cut out. You cut they were at the back of the bus. So, now, an Obama so, now, statement. so now you want us uh-huh. to take the money from the American taxpayer who sent us here. Right. Who sent us here. And, you know, our districts voted and they sent us here and we have the majority and they said that we don't like this and we are doing what the will of the people are telling us to do. And yet you want us to bail you out of this. And, and, and I think, OK, is it economically sustainable? Yes, it's economically sustainable if you want to rip off the American people. That's well, how it's well, economically. Yeah, Neil. It, and, and the Congress is, is not going along with that. So what is it that the Democrats don't get? It's not what they don't get. It's what they don't want. They don't want. This is, again, it goes back to philosophy. They don't Ooh, want philosophy. Are yeah. Yeah. Philosophy they, now? Yeah. We're into philosophy. The philosophy of the far left and the progressives. Remember, a, a, a large chunk of them as representative by, you know, Bernie Sanders, you know, is Uh-oh, saying is Bernie we, here. Well, not quite. He may. He's, <laughs> he's coming later. But 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 Bernie Sanders and those guys are saying it wasn't far enough to the left. And now you got Jerry Brown out in in California coming up with his single payer system that has a tax bill of four hundred billion dollars. They don't care. It doesn't matter. So you've got this ideology out there, Neil, that two things. One, they want to take it farther to the left. Number two, they don't want to give up the legacy that they had of the eight years that they were involved with Obama as the president. It's a major deal for them. Think for a second. We're here we are eroding and taking away the legacy of Obamacare. God willing that happens. But on the other hand, we've also taken away, all right, that's the Paris climate you know, agenda. That's going out the window right now. So uh, none of the things, a number of the agendas, a number of the ideas that the, you know, the, the Obamaites had are, are, are going to just evaporate. And, and hence, it's, it's going to be a problem when you play with the words repair, repeal. Interesting. Let's uh, change gear for a second, because, I mean, that, that has a huge impact on jobs and, and our businesses and our entrepreneurial community. We hear a lot about that. We can't afford the cost of health care. I hear from my employees that, you know, my health care, you know, gets worse and worse and worse every year because the plans get worse and worse and worse and they cost more. I mean, it's 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 a terrible thing. It's, a, it's an absolute terrible thing, both for the employer and the employee. This is just a no win situation. 
just a no-win situation. You know, let's um, uh, talk for a second uh, about taxes. I mean, you know, tax reform. I mean, because we've we got to have these policy discussions, and nobody's talking about policy anymore. I mean, it's all on this uh, circuit type, circus-type stuff, and we're not talking about things like we should talk about, like— uh, like taxes and, and regulatory reform and all the things that it will take to get our people working again. Yeah, we saw this initial spurt of the Trump economy, and it was really good. I mean, um, uh, uh, companies are staying, they're creating jobs, the stock market is going through the roof, there's this consumer confidence that hasn't been around for a long, long time. Businesses are investing. We're talking about bringing a trillion dollars, two trillion dollars that's offshore and bringing it back home. We're talking about a, a trillion dollars worth of infrastructure and building our country. I mean, all of this kind of stuff, man, we got to get back very to exciting. talking about policy. Well, it's very exciting. But you know what? None of that. You were talking about the, the repatriation, uh, repatriation of funds coming over from the, overseas. If we don't change the tax structure, that doesn't happen. If we don't change the corporate tax structure, all this growth, all this con- all this excitement that we're having right now is going to come to a halt because they're going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're, we're, we're anticipating, you know, having a better bottom line for ourselves so we can put money back into the company, that we can hire people, that we can do R&D, which is very important for expanding a company, creating product, creating jobs. If we don't have that tax structure, Neil, we're in a big problem. And by the way, if we don't have that tax structure soon, there's going to be an erosion of the belief in the administration to a degree. And by the way, I'm very pro this administration. That could happen. And at the same time, the stock market, which is kind of a a barometer litmus test of what people think is going to be happening, that's going to be impacted to a degree. So what do you think, Neil? Well, I think that, uh, you know, we got to get this thing done and, you know, talk about uh, infrastructure. I know we got to go really quick, but, uh, you know, President Trump has suggested tolls and, you know, Democrats are going crazy about that. Go to Europe. Go anywhere in Europe. You know, take a 10 mile ride down the Audubon or, or, or go to China for that matter. Uh, go to Japan. Oh, my goodness, Japan. And look what they pay just for everyday roads. So what if we pay some tolls? If it invests a trillion dollars in our country, I think it's a good thing. I'm that, for that. I'm, and, I'm all. That's a usage tax. I'm fine with that. Hey, look, we got to go. A, a great discussion, Rich. We got Frederick Palmer coming on from the Heartland Institute, and he's going to talk about what comes next with the Paris Accord. Fascinating, fascinating discussion. Made in America. higher at the open, stocks continued to perform well over the course of the day Tuesday. And I think that bodes well here over the next couple of years for having bigger demands coming to this country. Now, more of Neil Asbury's Made in America. Welcome to Made in America. I'm your host, Neil Asbury, together with co-host Dr. Rich Rothman. Hey, Rich, a very passion-flowing show today. Oh, yeah. Some really great topics. Oh, yeah. But here we go, man. You know, we're going to get your motor running on this one. We're going to talk about the Paris Accord, or maybe I should say the lack of the Paris Accord. We're very pleased good. to have on... That's a good statement. I like that. The lack of. Yeah. Uh, we're very pleased to have on Fred Palmer from the Heartland Institute. Fred, welcome to Made in America. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to be with you guys today. Hey, we enjoyed reading your piece, uh, Parrot Climate Agreement and the America First Energy Plan. And, you know, that's it, the American First Energy Plan. And, and, and you know, the, of course, the left, uh, they're melting down on this, uh, to coin a phrase, and 
you know, the 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 world is ending and, uh, you know, Florida's, uh, you know, we were in Florida, so the Florida's going to be gone here soon. And the Keys, I'll forget about the Keys, my home in Isla Mirada, all that money I spent down there. Underwater. <laughs> you know? Al Gore promised. This time he means it. He says, I mean it. Yeah, I yeah, yeah, underwater. But I, I don't think a lot of people are agreeing with Al because property prices in the Keys right now is at a historic high. So I don't think anybody's really uh, paying much attention to that. But, you know, and, and what the president said is, hey, you know, like Obama has done so many times before, he just made a really bad deal. And, you know, he gave everything away and got nothing in return. You know, I want to I want to renegotiate this. I want to talk about this. I want to get a better deal for America. America is giving away everything in our every relationship and every agreement the, the Iran deal, our trade agreements, all these agreements. I want a better deal for America. I mean, so why? So why is that bad? I mean, you know, let's get a better deal. It seems to be like a reasonable position for me. Yeah, well, the, one of the things, the reason that I, I, I put it put it where I did in terms of the context of the America First Energy Plan is that if you if if, if you go go to that approach, which says we are going to use all of our fossil fuels, all of our oil, natural gas, and coal, which I think you know I'm in the fossil fuel camp, we should. It's completely inconsistent with with the science associated with these these climate deals and not just the Paris Accord, but also the underlying Paris or the uh, so-called Rio Treaty, which was signed, which was executed in 1992. The president, uh, President George W.H. Bush signed that. It went to the Senate. It was ratified. And Rio has to be next. But these are these are meant by the international community to be impediments to using fossil fuels in the name of climate climate change. So when the president and I have no problem sitting down again with the with the countries of the world to talk about energy in any context, but it always has to be in the context that the United States is energy rich. We're going to use our fossil fuels and we're going to export them to you because there are billions of people on earth that don't have any, any energy. And there are billions more coming to the same countries that don't, uh, where the people don't have energy. And that means fossil fuels and, and, uh, uh, that this notion we're going to live our lives based on how much CO2 we put in the air is yesterday's news that's gone. And that's the importance of Paris. So so that's how you have to think about it. You can't say, let's go negotiate a better climate deal. Let's go negotiate a better energy deal. And we've got a lot of fossil fuels we're willing to sell you. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, we do have plenty of fossil fuels. And and the reality of it is that you know when when you when you're debating the idea of renewable fuels, you know, it reminds me of John Hoffmeister, who used to be the head of, of of Shell, wrote a book a few years ago, and he was trying to explain that you can't not get the bang for your buck out of a renewable fuel, wind or solar or so forth. You just can't run manufacturing on that. And so here we are, in reality, sitting on tons and tons and, you know, hundreds of years of fossil fuels and Rich, that we could use. And, Rich, you know, the other thing we're sitting on top of is all this technology of how to exactly. use it and doing exactly. it in, in a clean and responsible way. I mean, why aren't we Absolutely. using this technology, creating all these jobs in America, selling not only the fuel, but the technology behind the fuel to make it clean and safe for our and that, environment. And all I mean, the, what you guys say is right. And, what, and the reason the, the Gore approach is so bankrupt, and he is at it. He's got a new movie coming out, and he just announced the new Energy Commission. I think Shell is putting money behind it, and they want to re-engineer the, the world's energy system to decarbonize, which means eliminate fossil fuels. But the reason it's so bankrupt is you is that we, we succeed on Earth and in life and our society because of fossil fuels, not in spite of them. 
and yet they want to zero them out in, in, instead of some other approach, which they are very vague on because there is no other approach. And and that's that's how this has to be viewed. It, and Florida is a, is exhibit A as to as to what happens when you use fossil fuels correctly. So if you look what, over the last hundred years, how many people have moved to Florida, and how how well do people live down there? It's because of fossil fuels. It's not in spite of fossil fuels. And and uh, so that's 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 what Heartland's about. And the next step is you know we we're out of we're out of the Paris Accord. We need to repeal the Rio Treaty and electrify power of the world. Is the way I put it. Well, that's exactly right. You know, when I listen to guys like Al Gore was just on this week talking about, well, Al, how come it is that you said like 10 years ago all this was going to happen, the, the seas were going to rise, the, the ice caps are going to be gone, you could just take a boat right through, you know, the St. Lawrence Seaway at any given time during the year, even in the winter, which, by the way, I used to do when I was a kid at Syracuse. But I'm waiting any day now that he's going to start saying, what are you doing, Al? Counting cards. He's going to be counting cards. He's just going to get hung up on this idea of counting cards out of the movie Rain Man. So the, the, the problem is we have to start dealing in reality to some of these people. And, and Frederick, I, I find it so difficult to have a rational conversation with the other side. Well, that, that's why it's so important that Donald Trump is president, because and I, I have said and I'll say here again today, what, what has happened is truly historic, not just his presidency, which in and of itself is, but in the energy space, which I know. This is the first president we have had in in modern history, really, who has a deep understanding of the importance of fossil fuels, a deep understanding of the importance of growth uh, facilitated through fossil fuels, and has has stood up to this 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 huge uh, con, con, uh, congregation of people that are anti-fossil fuels here and abroad, led by Gore, the European Union, the Pope even threw in threw in with them. And said, no, that's wrong. We're going to use our more of our fossil fuels. We're going to take care of our economic growth that way. We're going to put people to work. We're going to pay down the deficit, and we're going to grow using fossil fuels. That's an historic uh, event in our history, and and Donald Trump is a leader of this and understands it better than anybody, including the people around him. Hey, Fred, thanks for summing it up so well for us. We're listening to Fred Palmer from the Heartland Institute. Fred, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, I appreciate it a lot. Coming up, we had Matt Schlapp from, uh, he's the chairman, the chairman, Rich, of the American Conservative Union. He's going to talk about what just happened with Comey. Made in America. Welcome to Made in America. I'm your host, Neil Asbury, together with co-host Dr. Rich Ruffin. Hey, Rich, you know, I know you read Real Clear Politics. I read Real Clear Politics. Slightly. Yeah. Three and, in the uh, morning, four in the morning. I get in trouble when I do that. <laughs> I get yelled at. Well, you know, it's amazing to see, you know, the same topic and the same words being discussed by the various news organizations and how so different conclusions are drawn uh, from uh, apparently the same set of facts. And unfortunately, as a country, I mean, that's kind of where we are. And as I said at the top of the show, the fervor over the Comey hearings, I mean, is just absolutely over the top. And, uh, you know, it, it's like I don't even want to open it up anymore and start to see these headlines and, and all of these uh, talking heads and in the stupidity and all of the politicking. And um, uh, it just it just makes me sick. 
But uh, we are going to get to the bottom of this. We are going to have a, a discussion right now about what does the Comey hearings mean and what has changed? Is anything changed or has a whole lot changed? We're going to find out right now with Matt Schlapp, who's the chairman of the American Conservative Union. Matt, welcome to Made in America. Gentlemen, great to be on with you. So tell us, what what have we learned? What changes? Does anything change? Is anything put to rest? Or is this thing just going to go on and on and on and on? Well, unfortunately, when you have special counsels, and I've worked in a White House when we had a special counsel, uh, they do go on for a long time usually. I hope this one doesn't. Uh, Robert Mueller has a, a really good, solid reputation. Um, but I hope they can draw this to a close because the real problem with all of this smoke that everyone has been fanning in the media is with all the leaking and all the inappropriate behavior, there's really no evidence of any criminal activity. After six months of saying that the the uh, the, the Trump team opened the doors to let Russia in and manipulate our election, Jim Comey said today under oath the Russians had no impact on any vote in the election. So I kind of feel like uh, the, the shot clock should be coming down here. If they can't show anything, it's time for the buzzer to sound. Well, I, you know, I found interesting today, and in, 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 um, in I wor- use the word candor in, in quotation marks, because I find it amazing, it's one of the revelations, that it was the, F- the head of the FBI that actually leaked a document to a friend professor at Columbia University, which was then leaked to a friend at the New York Times or Washington Post and so forth. I find that to be amazing. I also found it amazing that he recognized the fact that Loretta Lynch, you know, actually you're talking about obstruction of justice. You have a Loretta Lynch telling and advising and asking and, 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 and pushing to have the, the title of an investigation be changed, the semantics of an yeah. uh, investigation be changed. That's not obstruction. Of, I find all that stuff that I heard, Matt, to be yeah, amazing to worse. listen to. It's worse. So it's not only that uh, Loretta Lynch uh, orders him to not call it an investigation. Um, he doesn't take any notes with any of those conversations. Um, he doesn't uh, put Hillary Clinton under oath in that investigation. There's no records from any conversations. He doesn't talk about any conversations he had with President Obama, Valerie Jarrett, Loretta Lynch, other White House uh, advisors, the White House counsel, on the clear decision by the Obama administration to take Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton's wrongdoing and shelve it and not prosecute. Um, Somebody coordinated with somebody to stop that investigation. And all of that's fine. But uh, but when it comes to Trump, any interaction between the FBI and the executive branch is all of a sudden a constitutional crisis. And I really do think this is why America and especially Trump supporters are so frustrated with the swamp, because there seems to be such a double standard. Well, go ahead. Neil, you want to go? No, go ahead. All right. Well, and I, I do find that amazing. You know, I mean, listen, I watch 12 Angry Men, so I really know this stuff, you know, and, and, and I think I stayed at the Hollywood Express. So I'm really up on this stuff completely. But I do find it amazing the hypocrisy that came out today, the arrogance that I saw today in this scenario. You're right. No notes were taken. No memos were kept when it came to the Obama administration. But in this scenario, which, by the way, started developing when Hillary loses and they have to find a reason, a rationale for somebody to lose. All of a sudden we find out, well, you know, it's collusion with the Russians. So we go down this road and, 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 and you know, Comey just goes down the road with them and, and, and provides cover, 
cover for Hillary, cover for Lynch, cover for everybody in the Obama administration, and uses that as against, uh, you know, the, the Trump administration. Just spectacularly interesting. And I think Comey was okay with following orders to not go after Clinton until he realized that that decision was starting to tarnish his halo. And people were starting to say, wow, Jim Comey, he went out after uh, after uh, President Bush and the Bush administration on his way out the door. He had the famous testimony where he took on Vice President Cheney and everybody else. And, 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 and taking a pass on Hillary Clinton, you know, a lot of people were criticizing him because it was such clear illegal activity from Hil- Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, Chelsea Clinton, the Clinton Foundation, the emails, the server, all the backroom deals with all the donors to the foundation. And uh, when he took a pass on Hillary Clinton, it was starting to impact his reputation. That's why I think he lurched back out when the uh, child predator emails uh, became uh, known on Anthony Weiner and Huma Abedin's uh, uh, laptop. I think that's why he lurched back out and made it public because uh, it was about his reputation. People think, well, he had to do these things just because he was in a tough spot. I think he put himself in that own tough spot by not taking uh, Hillary Clinton's wrongdoing, her illegal activity, and holding her as accountable as the two of you would have been. Well, interesting. Well, listen, he's a drama queen. I, I walked away from this whole thing yeah. today saying, you know, he's so upset and he couldn't be alone. This is the head of the FBI. He was afraid to be alone with Mr. Trump. you got to be kidding me. And he's like well, eight that, foot tall. Why is he afraid of anybody? I don't really get exactly. it. Exactly. He's a big man. He made Trump look little. <laughs> hey, Matt, thanks for being on the show. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful conversation. Anytime, guys. Keep up the fight. We've just been listening to Matt Schlapp, who's the chairman of the American Conservative Union. Coming up, Dr. Rothman and I are going to have some final thoughts for the day. Made in America. Welcome to Made in America. I'm your host, Neil Asbury, together with co-host Dr. Rich Ruffman. Hey, Rich, you know, I think it all comes down to, you know, all these wonderful ideas and the difference between our two parties is, you know, we want a trillion dollars you know, to do things. Remember with uh, Obama, it was a trillion dollar stimulus. I don't know what we got for it. I have no clue what we got for it. I mean, what was it like? Everybody, you know, like got two hundred dollars or something like that. I, I mean, it was just a, a bunch of stuff that you can never, as an American, go out into your communities and actually see what you got, or drive around this country, or go to an airport or anywhere and see what you got. I think I have something for that, Neil. I just thought of this. Everyone out there, anyone out there who got a two hundred and fifty dollar check from the government as a result, raise your hand. Do you see anyone? I don't see anyone. I raise your raise hand mine. high. I, I think didn't, mine got lost in the mail. I, I, I truly I never got one. mine. I, 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 I'm looking at Pennsylvania folks. They, they didn't get it. I know Mike Kelly's area didn't get it. I know that. So it didn't happen. What did we get for that? So now you got a president who says, okay, we want a trillion dollars to build things and for infrastructure. And instead of you know taking it from the American taxpayer, we're going to find a way to fund it. A user pay system for new stuff. For things like, like that. that, that would be it's cool. New. And, and, and anybody who's traveled around the world and they have seen in Europe, in Japan, in Korea, in China, uh, in Singapore, you know, just go so many different places that I have been. The amount of tolls that you pay is just absolutely unbelievable. It's amazing you can get on 
I-95, you know, in South Florida and drive all the way up the East Coast or get on Route 80 at the George Washington Bridge and, and end up at the Bay Bridge in San Francisco, and, and, and you don't pay anything for that. That's amazing, and that's great, and I think it's wonderful. But, hey, if we want to upgrade things, if we want to have new things, maybe there should be a little skin in the game on some user fees. And if that's what it's going to take to fund this, so where we don't add to the deficit and we're going to get the private economy to invest in it, you know, I think it's a wonderful thing. And I think that's the difference between the two. One, it's a trillion dollars and you have no clue what the hell you got out of it. And you got one is trillion dollars who says, well, here's how we're going to fund it. It's not going to come from the American taxpayer. You know, if you don't want to use it, you don't have to pay for it. But for those who use it and benefit, you're going to have to pay a little bit for it. And, and I got to tell you, whatever those tolls would be, it would be a fraction of what you're paying in any other country to use their infrastructure. A fraction. Well, you know, Neil, it, it, we're not inventing the wheel right now. There's the federal program that's out there. If you remember the HOV lanes that used to be in South Florida are now being converted into express lanes. And you pay for them. P- pay for them. I am paying some days almost $20 a day to drive 47 but miles. Them, but you use them. But I have to. Because I want to travel at a, at a good rate of speed, and I have to it's get where choice. I have to get. So I make a choice, and I pay through my Sun Pass. You know, it's automatic. I, I, I decide I'm going to pay that. And a lot of people are paying that, and I'm telling you. It's a so choice. It's, it's going to work. It's a choice. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a choice. And, 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 and just the whole economy works better uh, as a result of it. And the fact is, is that the American taxpayer is not getting hosed. So if you don't use it, you don't pay for it. You know, why should people who don't use it, maybe some folks out in rural America who never have a chance to use some of these these assets, why should we be making them pay for things that other people and maybe the urban areas get a lot of use out of? Well, they're, they're, I think it's a great listen. And look at about all the jobs that we create. Right? Exactly. It's not only that, that you know, hey, look, you know, we're going to have some user fees, but in the meantime, we're going to create thousands and thousands of good paying jobs, you know, out of this whole thing, too. And let me tell you, people come from around the world, they come to our country, and, and, and I've been with them, and they drive through some of our cities, and they take a look, and they say, this is America? This is like decaying. I mean, this thing is falling apart. I mean, you guys can't do better than this? You know, so, you know, I, I think it's for our national pride, and I think it's for the health of our country that we need to show that, hey, look, we have the best infrastructure in the world. Today, we don't. No, we don't, but we do have the opportunity, and that's why, it, you know, just recently in the last week or two, we were talking about P3s, private placement things that we could do, you know, well, that's public, exactly par- what private. It's a great idea. Why not? Why do you have to go to the taxpayer to pay for everything when you have corporations and you have financial institutions that want to do these opportunities and that are coming along? They will make money. They will create jobs. They will be responsible. And you know what? They'll be a heck of a lot more efficient than the government would be. To do it, you know, you know the the other thing about to kind of connect the dots is that all, you know who's going to fund all of these things? It's going to be pension funds, it's going to be the endowment funds of the universities because you know they want to park their money and put money in places that you know that that lifts uh, you know the value of their portfolio to help exactly the retirees in America. I mean, yeah. amazing, amazing things happen. Hey, look, Rich, we're out of time. Thanks for all your passion today, your great comments. We're going to be back again next week. At the same time for another adventure of Made in America where we never stop fighting for your jobs.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.